Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Listen now for God's word to us. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Amen. He is. That there is no greater message of joy and hope for a future beyond our deepest and wildest imagination than the hope that we find in the empty tomb. Because in the empty tomb, death has been swallowed up in victory. That's the language that Paul uses. The powers and the principalities of this world do not have the last word. Only God does. The only reason we have hope as Christians is because Jesus refused to stay dead. Because the tomb was empty. So this is a day 
of great joy, a day of great celebration. Yet strangely, it's also a day that for Mary and the disciples began in darkness. John tells us that it was early on the first day of the week when Mary went to Jesus' tomb. So early, in fact, that it was still dark outside. And for some reason, Mary ventures out in the dark, in the darkness of the morning. She ventures out to the tomb of her beloved beloved rabbi. And actually, when you think about it, it's rather odd that she would do this, that she would go to the tomb at all. I mean, after all, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they, they had done all of the proper burial arrangements. They had anointed the body, they had... Uh, they had done everything that you would do according to custom. And they even found this, this wonderful, unused tomb in a garden that, to, to bury him in. So why does she come in the first place? Why does she go out to this place? And, and it would not have been a very smart thing to do for her because uh, it was not considered um, proper for women to be traveling alone and particularly not while it was dark outside. So not, not only is it just simply unwise for her to do this, but it's potentially quite dangerous. She takes a huge risk in doing this. And contrast that to the other disciples, the twelve, who had all run in fear, who were hiding, who, who could, didn't want to be seen publicly. Yet she takes the risk. Why? Why go out and risk this thing? But for some reason, she does. She brazenly enters the darkness of that morning and ventures out towards the tomb. And it's only because she entered that darkness that she meets the resurrected Christ. But the truth is that she and the other disciples had already been in a deep darkness ever since the events of Good Friday. Now, from our perspective, 2,000 or so years later, it's it's easy to see Good Friday as a really good thing, right? Because we know that without Good Friday, without the death of Jesus, there is no Easter Sunday. There is no celebration. There is no singing. But for those first disciples, there was nothing good about that Friday. It was a day of profound loss, a day of intense pain, grief, relentless doubt. How could he have died? How could this have happened? We thought he was the Messiah. He's not supposed to die. What are we supposed to do now? Has God abandoned us? Were we wrong about this whole thing? So, so while they're hiding behind locked doors asking these questions, Mary Magdalene is out imperiling her own life, not only by going out by herself into the darkness, but also by risking being, a, being seen publicly and being associated with this man who had just been executed as an enemy of the state. Yet she stepped out when no one else dared to. She stepped into the darkness, into the garden. But when she gets there, she, she doesn't find what she expected, does she? She expected it to be a place of death, a place of mourning. And so she gets there and sees that the stone has been removed and doesn't know what to make of it. So she immediately runs and finds Peter and the beloved disciple. And these other two disciples make a mad dash back to the tomb and they find nothing. 
basically. There's no angels. There's no Jesus at this point. Nothing but linen wrappings and grave clothes that strangely have been neatly folded inside the tomb because Jesus was apparently a bit of a neat freak. So, But they have no clue what to make of it. John, John tells us that they still, even after all this time, after following Jesus for all this time, after seeing all the things he was capable of, after hearing all of his teachings, all of his words, they still don't quite get it. They believe something. We know that. It says they saw, he saw and he believed, but they still didn't quite understand. So they go home. It's kind of funny to think about, right? They just, well, tomb's empty. Let's go home. But not Mary. She's persistent. She wants answers. She, she comes back to the tomb, even after she had fled to find the other two disciples. She returns to the place where her rabbi once lay. And now she stands there even more confused than before. And she weeps. And then from inside the tomb, she hears a voice. Because this time she's not alone. The voice says to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she responds to these angels with the best explanation that she can possibly come up with. They have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So perhaps she thinks it was a grave robber who came and took his body. Maybe it was those cruel Roman soldiers, and they, they decided to commit one final act of mockery and defilement for yet another false messiah that has been crucified by Rome. Whatever explanation may be running through her head, she has yet, even in the presence of angels, she has yet to suspect that Christ could have been resurrected, that Christ could be alive. But then she notices something, maybe just in the corner of her eye, a figure that she doesn't recognize, someone that she doesn't know. And this, this unknown person asks her the same question that the angels did. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Interestingly, John tells us that at first, she believes this person, this man standing before her, to be the gardener, which makes some sense in the story because the tomb was in a garden. So it makes sense that if someone else were there that she didn't know, perhaps he's the gardener who was tending the garden. And it's kind of funny, actually, throughout history, a number of artists have um, <clears throat> depicted this scene. And in their depictions of this scene, they, they try to... Um, image Mary's misidentification of Jesus as a gardener in rather amusing and kind of absurd ways. Like in a number of these paintings, they, Jesus is pictured standing next to Mary Magdalene, literally holding a shovel and wearing like a big floppy gardener's hat. It, it's really great. You know, I mean, no wonder she thought he was a gardener, right? Because he was dressed like a gardener. So of course. So, so beyond the, the silliness of picturing Jesus in this in this garden, resurrected, wearing gardening gloves. I do wonder if there's something kind of more going on here with this whole garden stuff. I wonder if, if John might be, subtly, might be subtly hinting to us, telling us that what's taking place in this garden is something a bit more profound, that there's something significant about being specifically in a garden and her thinking that Jesus was a gardener. 
because these are otherwise kind of minor details that could easily be left out. They don't seem necessarily important to the story. And in fact, in the other three biblical accounts of the resurrection that we have, there's no mention of a garden. There's no mention of Mary thinking Jesus is a gardener. So perhaps this garden, where Mary encounters Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is supposed to remind us of another garden. The first garden. The Garden of Eden. The garden where everything went wrong. Where everything went awry. Now interestingly, there's a number of places throughout the Old Testament where God's activity, God's actions, are, are described using garden imagery and metaphors. So for instance, talking, thinking about the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2.8 says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, not created, planted. Not God snapped his fingers and there it was, but God planted a garden in Eden. And then God creates Adam from the dust of the ground and breathes life into his nostrils. In fact, the Hebrew word for Adam comes from the word for ground or earth, Adamah. So Adam is the combination of the stuff of earth, the stuff of the garden, and the breath of God. And we too are that combination. The act of creation, as we, as we read it in Genesis, is not some aloof thing where God just simply says, you know, snaps his fingers and that's that. It's not the image of a clockmaker who builds this clock, winds it up, and then walks away. God's hands are literally digging into the dirt. God's hands are literally in the mud. God's hands are getting dirty. God is a gardener. So perhaps Mary's mistake is no mistake at all. Or maybe a better way to, to put it would be to say that she was far more right than she realized when she thought that he was the gardener. Because indeed, she was looking at the gardener. But not just any gardener. The gardener. The same gardener who reached down into the dirt to plant the Garden of Eden. The same gardener who reached down into the dirt and took on human form to suffer and die on our behalf. And now, in this resurrection garden, we see why. Because like we said, things went terribly wrong in that first garden. That's where, that's where everything started to unravel. And now, in this new garden, things are being put back together. Things don't go wrong here. Now, Mary, sure, she's, she's a bit disoriented at first. She's not completely sure of what's going on. But all it takes is one word. Her name. Jesus speaks her name. And instantly, she recognizes him. She realizes that the man she thought was the gardener, the man standing before her, is her risen Lord, her rabbi. And suddenly, we, the reader, we realize that this is no ordinary garden. This is the garden of new creation. That just as life began in the Garden of Eden, now new life is beginning in this garden. We've come full circle, back to the garden that God has planted. And God's hands are once again in the dirt. Because this is how God works. This is who God is. E.B. White, who you probably know 
best as the author of Charlotte's Web, <clears throat> once wrote about his wife, who was an avid gardener. And he said this about her. I used to marvel at how unhesitatingly she would kneel in the dirt and begin grubbing about, garbed in a spotless cotton dress or a handsome tweed skirt and jacket. She simply refused to dress down to a garden. She moved in elegantly and walked among her flowers as she walked among her friends, nicely dressed and perfectly poised. The only moment in the year when she actually got herself up for gardening was on the day, was on the day in the fall that she had selected in advance for laying out of the spring bulb garden, a crucial operation, carefully charted and full of witchcraft. Armed with a diagram and a clipboard, Catherine would get into a shabby old Brooks raincoat, much too long for her, put on a little round wool hat, pull on a pair of overshoes, and proceed to the director's chair that had been placed for her at the edge of the plot. There she would sit hour after hour in the wind and the weather, while Henry Allen produced dozens of brown paper, brown paper packages of new bulbs and basketfuls of old ones, ready for the intricate internment. As the years went by and age overtook her, there was something comical yet touching about her in her bedraggled appearance on this awesome occasion. Her studied absorption in the implausible notion that there would be yet another spring. Sitting there with her detailed chart under those dark skies in the dying October, calmly plotting the resurrection. So too, God, our gardener, refuses to dress down to the garden of creation, the garden of new creation begun on this day. Because God refuses to give up on the garden, even when we allow it to become infested and overgrown with weeds and pests. If we have eyes to see, we can begin to notice how God's new creation that began in the darkness of that first Easter morning is continuing to sprout up and burst forth all around us. If we have ears to hear, we can recognize our risen Savior calling us by name. And like Mary, sending us out to spread the good news of the resurrection, the good news of the new creation. After her encounter with the risen Christ, Mary hurries back to the disciples to tell them the good news. Her message is very simple. I have seen the Lord. This is the hope that we experience at Easter, that God's hands are once again in the mud, cultivating life from what we once thought was dead. We have not been abandoned. We have not been forsaken. Jesus is not dead. We have seen the Lord, and this life is sprouting within each of us. So it's time for us, too, to get our hands dirty, to be the cultivators of life in the midst of death, to step out into the darkness in search of our Savior, and to proclaim to all that we meet through our speech and through our actions that we have seen the Lord. Amen.